I'd like us to all read together again Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9, 10, and 11. The verses might be up on the screen as well. Let's begin. Verse 9 says, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest any fall according to the same example of disobedience. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, it's a simple but earnest and genuine prayer that is perhaps echoed in each of our hearts this morning that we desire to hear from you. We desire that your word, which we know is living and powerful, would speak to each and every one of our lives in the circumstances that we find ourselves in, the places that we find ourselves. And this morning we're going to trust you, Lord, to do just that, for you've promised that you will. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I've entitled this morning's message, Finding Real Rest for the Believer. Perhaps some of that came from me experiencing a real restful week uh, in the physical, but more so from looking at this chapter and this passage and coming to terms with what really is, is the central theme not only in the text, but is very needful in the church uh, for believers this morning, and I'll explain. The dictionary defines the word rest, uh, first of all, as a noun. It's the refreshing, quiet, or repose of sleep. Okay, so rest. The refreshing, quiet, repose, or sleep. Many of us know what it's like to get a good night's sleep or a good night's rest. But as a verb, the word rest is defined to relieve weariness by cessation of exertion or labor. Let me restate that. To relieve weariness by cessation of exertion or labor, to rest. As we've been studying the book of Hebrews, you've probably already agreed or heard, at least from me, that the book of Hebrews is often called uh, the book of warnings. There are certainly five warnings throughout the book. Some have detailed seven And thus far, we have come uh, upon two warnings in our studies of chapters 1 through 3. And you're going, yes, I remember those warnings. What were they? Great question. Back in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we were reminded that the Christian is to be warned about drifting, the neglect of of the things that they've heard 
through scripture and drifting away from the fundamentals and the foundations of their faith. We saw in chapter 3 a second warning about willfully ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit of God is speaking to the born-again believer, the antenna has been turned on, and the question that the author of the book of Hebrews uh, reinforces in chapters 3, verse 14, is, are we listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit? Two very strong and powerful and applicable and relevant warnings to the believers. But today we come to a third warning in the book, which is of a, of a different nature. A different nature really altogether. And for that, I want to take us backwards to verse 1 of chapter 4, which reads uh, this way. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Now, What's interesting, uh, a couple of things, I told you that throughout this book, the word therefore is used 28 times. 28 times. Why? Because so much of what the author is intending to say is built upon the things that he has already said in front of it. Therefore, because of what I said back there, then this that I'm about to say applies. And we see right here in the first verse of chapter 4, he uses the word for the seventh time of 28 times, therefore, since a promise remains. Now, uh, we use the New King James Bible version of the Bible here at Calvary Chapel Valley Springs um, paramountly. It has some excellent translation in it. And yet there are... A, a place or two or three where another translation is preferred, and this is actually one for me, where verse 1 is, uh, in my opinion, uh, also clearly translated in the King James Version of the Bible. And we have it up on the screen. If you'll notice that the, below, the, the, I'm sorry, the top, the King James Version of the Bible reads this way. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. The warning is that there's a promise. Again, the warning is not about something not to do or to do, but the warning is that there's a promise God has made. And though the book of Hebrews does carry with it some, some strong sort of shake us and wake us up uh, 
clarion call warnings, this particular warning is, is of such a beautiful nature. I would like to share with you what William Newell says in his commentary. He says, on the other hand, speaking about this particular warning, according to God's word, he cites Ezekiel 32, uh, 13.22, and I think we have that up on the screen as well, says, um, you have grieved the heart, let me read it from here, because with lies you have grieved the heart of the righteous whom I have not made sad. Ezekiel 13.22a. God is saying that there, there is potentially... Well, he is saying historically here something did happen. If we uh, move the application of this truth into history forward, what we find is that someone can make the righteous sad and God never intended them to be sad. a few more verses that will appear on the screen are because that someone who endeavors to make the righteous, the Christian, the one who is covered by the blood of Christ sad is, of course, our adversary. His name is the devil. He is real, but he is only able to work within the amount of confines that God gives him. And yet... Very unfortunately, at times he is able to make sad those who are covered in the blood and change their thinking to where, according to Hebrews 29, they begin to think that they have trampled underfoot the Son of God and have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and have done despite unto the spirit of grace. A person thinking that that's to them can begin to start to bear a heavy load. A person can begin, start to begin a lie that Satan will whisper to them, you have hardened your heart by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3.13 and it can go as far as the, the enemy of your soul and mine whispering into the ear that he, according to Hebrews 6, 6, it is impossible to renew them again unto repentance. Please, the author of Hebrews, the commentator William Newell and myself would underscore, please read verse 1 again. Because it says there is a promise that has been left. Newell goes on to say, now, I love this quote, he says, now you may have failed to lay hold of one promise after another, and your life may have become more and more perplexed, but do not despair, for it is God's habit to leave a promise. There is such a one for you. Search for it prayerfully, carefully, humbly, 
And when you find your heart drawn out to any scripture, thank God for that scripture, praying that there may be in your heart a mixture of faith graciously given by him to believe what it is he's saying to you. Isn't that powerful? You and I, we may have failed to grab hold of one promise after another, but don't despair because a promise still has been left. Notice what takes place in verse 2 of chapter 4 of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews goes on to say, For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, Notice this, and you might underline it if you're taking note this morning, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. You see it? The word is spoken, the promise is given, but it's the, the hearing of that word is not mixed with faith. I was talking with someone recently who had been bearing kind of a hard conflict and, and they were crying out to God and they were just kind of reading through scripture and, and God spoke something to them about I, I see what you're doing I see what's hard for you and, and I'm with you and just believing that person just believing that that was actually God speaking to them like totally lifted totally lifted that burden There's an account of a Christian worker many years back who was at an event where their organization was to hand out gifts to poor children. And as the children, uh, many of them gathered in the room, the gifts were all piled high up on the table on the platform in front of them. And so the administrator of the event stepped up and, and all the children knew why they were there to receive a gift and all the volunteer workers, Christians, were there knowing that they were to give these gifts. And as the administrator stepped up, he opened the scroll of the names of the children who would be there that day and began to read their names one by one. And he would call a name and he would call out to the children and that child would stand up and he would say, come forward. And that child would come forward. They'd take a gift off the table and, and hand it to that child. And as the evening progressed and the gifts on the table began to become fewer and fewer and fewer, but there were still some, the administrator got to one name where he called it out and no child stood. Of course, the child was there. He was in the back, holding on to the chair in front of him. And so the administrator called out the name again. And the young boy looked around. He looked to the left, looked to the right, wanted to make sure. He didn't want to make the embarrassing act of standing up when someone else in the room had that same name and the gift wasn't for him. 
So he just sat there looking around. A third time, the administrator calls out the name. And sitting next to the young boy, he said, hey, he's calling you. And with, with every ounce of, of courage and, and hope that he could muster at the moment, the young boy stands up and the administrator said, I'm calling for Jimmy. And the boy says, sir, he raises his hand, the administrator, is that your name? He says, yes, sir, that's my name. Well, then come forward and receive this gift. I use that illustration to say sometimes, and maybe for no one in this room, believers can act in the same way toward the promise God has left them. After all, what is the last word of chapter 3? You can look down. What's the last word of chapter 3? Unbelief. And we know, reaching backwards in history and reaching backwards in principle, though we are no longer under the dispensation of the law and we are under the dispensation of grace, we do know that all things were written, Paul said, for our learning. Therefore, in the Old Testament, there are things that the New Testament believer can learn. And we do know that Israel's promise of a land flowing with milk and honey in which God would be center in their lives and would fight their enemy, would grant them victories. That was a promise to them. And yet in Numbers 14, we find again why they did not receive that promise. You recall what happened in 13. At the end of chapter 13 of the book of Numbers, Joshua and Caleb had gone into spy out the land with ten others. And when the twelve came back to the camp of Israel, Joshua and Caleb said, yes, it's a beautiful land. It's flowing with milk and honey. There are Anakin, you know, Anix there. There are large people there. But, but we can take this land. God has given it to us. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people. They are stronger than we. And they, have, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying that the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in that land are men of great stature. Two reports. 
One, a report of faith and believing a promise that God had given. Another, looking at circumstance and, and physical, visible things in front of them. And if you read 14, because I, I was pointed to it again, I read it again, I just shook my head and went, wow, this is such a word for us as the church today. This is such a word for us as we go through the book of Hebrews that has great warnings about neglecting so great a salvation, drifting from faith. But this very special and precious warning as well, because what happened to them is declared right here in chapter 4 about they shall not enter my rest. Why? Because in 14 we find that all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and all the people wept that night. They cried. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, if we had only died in the land of Egypt, or if we'd only had died in the wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not have been better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Let's kick the boss out and go back to the things that, that aren't hard in our mind. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jehephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we passed through and spied out is exceedingly, an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. And the it is a land which flows with milk and honey. Don't rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Oh. And all, you know what the, the response of the congregation of Israel was to that very exhortive word when he could see that, that fear and dismay was leading them to not believe the promise of God. They, the congregation said to one another, let's stone them. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the meeting. And the Lord said to Moses, man, how long shall I deal with this people? I'll paraphrase here as chapter 14 goes on. Moses said, the Lord tells Moses, I'll just wipe them all out and I'll start over with you. And of you, I'll make a great nation again because they've seen my works. They've, they've, I've walked with them through this wilderness. They, they've had many, many years with me. They've seen many victories, many powerful things. And Moses intercedes. He says, no, Lord. If you destroy this people, your enemies will think you didn't love them. You didn't care for them. You, your promise to them was not forthright. 
And Moses says, please pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Lord, you saw what they were in Egypt. You saw what they were all the way through this journey, and you see them now. Please just forgive. And the Lord said to Moses, I have pardoned according to your word. Isn't that powerful? Intercessory prayer, wow, don't, don't think lightly of intercession. According to your word, I have pardoned. But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who reject me see it. And they didn't. You know the account. Many of you have read your Bible and worked through some of the structure of the Old Testament as that generation died out before the people of Israel entered into Canaan or Canaan, the land that God had promised. Why is that important to you and I this morning? And how does the Old Testament marry with the New Testament and the principles in the Old become Uh, applicable in the new and that all of these things are written for our learning. Verse 3 of chapter 4 of Hebrews says, For we who have believed do enter that rest. Powerful, right? For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, I swore in my wrath, they, meaning back then, shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Verse 4, moving forward, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. And what we saw or what we know of in the the creative account is that in Genesis 1.31 all the way to chapter 2 verse 3 is that God saw all that he had created and it was good and God rested. And then what happened? Sin entered the world. And the moment, the nanosecond At the time that sin again entered the world, not unknown to God who knew all things from the foundation of the world, as it said, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, God in his uh, omniscience, his all-knowing, was not taken by surprise by this, but sin entered the world. And then God once again, get this, I think this is powerful, began again to work toward redemption of his people. In which, from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Israel to the patriarchs to 
a people and to a land, he was seeking, he was working toward redeeming them. Why? Because God has always wanted rest for his people. He knows what rest is like. He knows how beautiful it is. He rested from all his works. And it was, oh, better go back to getting these people redeemed. But some would not enter that rest, right? Verse 6, chapter 4 of Hebrews. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter it because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, back in the Psalms, today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The author, like sewing a fine fabric, places the needle and the thread through the truth of the creative experience, the redemptive work of a people that would eventually reject him all the way through into the patriarch David who would then look forward to the day in which Christ would come and the rest that God had initially offered and provided and still offers and provides even this moment and today would finally be available. Don't not hear his voice. Don't, not, don't harden your heart to not hear his voice, that that rest is, is available is what the author's writing to the Hebrews as he goes on and he says, for if Joshua, who was full of faith, who did mix the word that he heard with faith, had given them rest, verse 8, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. Make sense? So, the Spirit of God, the author under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, to the reader throughout the entire canonicity of the New Testament Scripture, brings us to the point of verse 9 that says, we read it in our congregational reading, there remains Therefore, there's that word again, ninth use of it in the book thus far, based on what has already been said, there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. Here's the warning that comes in a different way, of a different nature. Verse 11, let us therefore, tenth use of the word therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience that was given to the Hebrews, to the readers of the scriptures earlier, and particularly to the Hebrews that knew those accounts. Why is that 
those 11 verses and the, I guess you would call it, title of our study this morning, Finding Real Rest for the Believer, important, applicable, relevant. Here's the summary. At times, the Christian faith can look like I, I must do in order to be. At times, the believer cannot or will not lay hold of the promise that you are forgiven. God no longer remembers your sin. He has removed it as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? It's infinite. The west will never meet the east. And he has promised that to every believer. I return to that promise often because it is that beginning place where a life of blessing and fulfillment and joy, not absent of challenge and hardship and struggle, but where blessing and joy and abundance remain, returning to that simple promise that I have forgiven you. God says, my son took upon himself the full payment for the penalty of every sin that mankind has committed. And then we need to take it a step further, like Jimmy in the room, who was just like, he can't really mean me. Is that your name? Yes, that's my name. Well, then come up here and receive that gift. God says to you and I, hey, my son's blood was spilled for you and me. Walk in the joy and the, the, the treasure and the value of simply being a forgiven individual. Yes, there's, there's the warnings of drifting. There's the warnings of neglect. But here's a, here's a warning that, that flips the coin to the other side. Remember that God promised that we're forgiven. And that... Beloved, is the joy that these first 11 verses bring us. Let us therefore be diligent to enter into that rest. Did you wake up this morning? We'll close with this. Completely convinced that you please God, that God loves you, as we sang in the song. Did you wake up this morning convinced that God has an overwhelming love for you. 
and that he has left you a promise that you are forgiven. He has left you maybe other promises that your enemy and mine wants to take away. Belief, unbelief wants us to ignore. But faith, mixing faith with his word and his promise will cause us to rise above. There is such a works mentality sometimes in the church, in the body of Christ, that we must do in order to be. When what Calvary says is, it's already done. It is finished. That brings me great joy. I hope it brings you an equal amount of joy and hope and satisfaction and promise and uh, an ability to look at the horizon and go, I wonder what other ways God wants to bless me. How are you going to bless me today? I know this week, let's wake up each morning and say, okay, Lord, I know you love me. You've promised you love me. How are you going to bless me today? Wouldn't that be a great way to go through the week? Let's do it. Let's be diligent, therefore, to enter into that rest. Will you pray with me? As the men come and the worship team comes, let's just thank the Lord for his word. Father, again, as we thank you for your word, we as well thank you for the promise of your rest. That we can cease exertion. We can stop trying to be better. That we can simply stop and embrace what you have done on the cross, which has completely paid the penalty that would have separated us from you. And by our faith in Christ and his blood, we are accepted in the beloved. We have not trampled underfoot the blood of the covenant. We have not hardened our hearts. And we are not made sad but we rejoice today, O oh God, because of your great love and your great sacrifice and the demonstration of that love in Christ. Receive our worship and our thanks this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. The brethren will distribute the elements for communion and we'll partake together in just a moment. In the meantime, let's sing together.
thing to know that God loves us should just overwhelm us at times maybe if you're anything like me maybe at times we just don't pay attention to it 
enough. But it's true. He loves us. Promised that he did. Demonstrated that he did. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This morning we get to remind ourselves of that. And so when he was with those he loved, he took bread, gave thanks for it. He broke it. Let's break, break the bread together, shall we? He said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat, and as you do, remember me. Let's partake together. Thank you, Lord. The Bible tells us in the same manner he took the cup. And having given thanks, he raised it and said that this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood which is shed for the remission of sin. He said to his followers then and he says to his followers right now to take and drink of this cup and as you do remember him. Let's partake together. Once again, Lord, as we rejoice in your great love for us today and are reminded of that love and the taking of these elements that represent your body and your blood, we go from this, your house, and our gathering, remembering how much you love us and that you displayed and showed and convinced the world and us of that love by what took place on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you for your love. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.